will. Will you pray with me? Gracious and forgiving God, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts and meditations of each of our hearts be offered humbly and faithfully. Amen. We are, you and I, us, we're trying to do something beautiful. We're trying to be the church, which means when we're at our best, we're seeking to model the way Christ makes us God's companions. Companions literally means people we break bread with. Maybe that's why some of you have planted those yard signs to grow in your front or backyards, because they are a witness to our desire to be companions, where both the prosperous and the desperate, the agile and the disabled, the privileged and the excluded, are all companions. I mean, together, and it's only together, we are trying to do something beautiful, be the church. And I have to say that thinking honestly about racism and how the church must reject racism, that is how we love and sometimes don't love our neighbors, is one of the bricks that builds what it means to be the church. And I say that because I think when we sometimes struggle, and whether it's as individuals or even as a nation, is when we try to pull apart that which God has already joined together. And when the church is, well, when we are being the church, we are called to name the gap. Maybe it's actually a chasm that exists between God's vision of a just, united, and loving world and the reality of the world in which we live. We are always trying to be the church, right? And we are doing good things all the time. We are even small things that are so important, like collecting styrofoam because we're trying to protect the environment. Or we're planting acres of corn and helping to feed tens of thousands of people. We're feeding the hungry. But it's also important that if we wish to be the church, that we consider issues where there is absolutely no guarantee of success but there is the hope of the kingdom. And you know as well as I do that race is a topic where people sometimes simply throw their hands up in the air in frustration, and yet, despite that frustration, we cannot let that deter us from struggling with an issue that there may be no guarantee of success. And that is because as followers of Jesus, we are yoked linked, held together by the hope of a kingdom. So to frame this sermon, allow me to begin with these three beliefs of mine. And the first one is that racism exists. It exists everywhere in our nation. It exists here. It is a part, albeit a tragic one, of our American landscape. And psychologists tell us that there is no such thing as being colorblind. No such thing. And that since the age of four months, we developed a preference 
for those who look like us at four months. So the first belief is that racism exists everywhere and here. But the second one is that racism is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as followers of Jesus, we have a calling, an obligation, to work for the elimination of advantages, whether they're conscious or unconscious, that are granted one race over another. Because racism, I think, at its most basic, is the belief that one race is superior to another. But racism, as you know, not only involves prejudice, but sometimes it includes the use of political or economic and, yes, religious influence to keep one race in power and other races less powerful. That's the injustice of a system. But racism, unfortunately, has seemed to exist in some form among all peoples and is not a new phenomenon. In fact, there was an archaeological excavation about a decade ago, and this phrase was discovered on the side of a house of worship. It was an inscription that read, No man of another race is to proceed within the walls of this sanctuary. I mean, who knows? Who knows? That was written, by the way, about the time that St. Paul was writing to the church in Galatia. And maybe that type of thinking is what inspired Paul to claim that there is a higher law than the unjust walls we may build, even sometimes the walls of God's house. Sadly, distrust of the other seems to be universal to our human condition. But as Christians, we are called to rise above our human condition and to proclaim that racism in any form, whether personal or systemic, and especially in a faith community, is intolerable and contrary to God's will. Which is the third belief. Racism is a sin. It's a sin. The personal form, I think, of racism shows itself in attitudes or actions that diminishes the God-given dignity or rights of another person. But the institutional and sometimes the cultural form of sin is when a system allows or encourages attitudes of superiority. Institutional racism rears its ugly head when persons of another race are not considered fairly for certain positions or promotions or might be considered unsuitable for certain jobs. It was, I tell you, but 20 years ago that I sat at a church dinner and someone told me because they had encountered two persons of color who they found to be inadequate engineers that blacks cannot be engineers. Racism takes a cultural form as well. And I think this may be even a tougher one to own up to, but it is racist when the standards, customs, group life, or even the names of one culture are seen as the norm for all people. That is the attitude, if only the other was more like me, I'd like them more. And so the Apostle Paul writes to us that in Christ Jesus, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither Greek nor Jew, male nor female, but we are all one, created by God. And yet, 
And yet, despite that hopeful claim, racism has for generation after generation, even in, often in, communities of faith, distorted the word of God. But we must remember that scripture, scripture is consistent and insistent that every person is formed in the image and likeness of God. Not a one of us can forget the turmoil in our country just a few years ago after the shooting in Ferguson, Missouri. And no matter what the facts of the story were, that turmoil reminded us that the struggle to change attitudes is far from over. I mean, I don't know how any of us could forget the vitriol that was shouted at all parties by all parties. And we realize that the struggle is still with us, that change is still going to come. I understand, I do, that overt racism is much less prevalent than it would have been 50 or certainly 100 years ago, but racism is still vital, but just perhaps more insidious. Because racist, maybe even sexist attitudes only appear after someone is putted out on the 18th green or over a glass of wine with friends standing around the kitchen island. And sometimes, sometimes it arises when we didn't even know it existed. A few years back, there was a homeless man in our church walking down the hallway who was in some filthy clothes, a person of color as well. And he was walking towards me in the education building, and I thought to myself, not again. I do not have time for this guy who wants a handout. And I'm embarrassed to tell you that that didn't feel either very Christian or pastor-like. And I cringe saying it to you this morning. And I yet, still, I try to relativize my behavior that morning by saying that, well, you know, I was out of gas and food cards, and I, didn't, I did have a family that I was going to meet with, but not for a little while, frankly. And still the man then caught up to me, and he asked me where a utility sink might be for him to use to clean up. And as he stood before me, I realized that this man was not here looking for a handout which I had assumed. But he was an employee of Commonwealth Edison who was filthy because he'd been crawling in the tunnels beneath our church. And he didn't need to go into the tunnels that day, but he had gone the extra mile for us. He had just installed the new electrical service to the church, and he went into our filthy tunnels to check to make sure it was safe. And he simply wanted to wash up. In fact, he apologized to me for being so filthy in a house of God. Well, that cringeworthy moment revealed an insidious bias in my heart. Just like the psychologists tell us, no one is colorblind. I had judged a book by its color. So I believe I know that in our nations, and clearly in my own heart, there is still much work to be done. But those of you who know me well understand that I am an optimist. And so I believe that our nation, just past the celebration of its Independence Day, actually has a model for how to close the gap between God's vision for a uni united and loving people 
and the reality of the world in which we live. And that vision began with the words, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal, that they are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights. We should be reminded that for the roughly 235 years our nation has had a constitution, that the great social struggles of America have always aimed to make our constitution more in line with those lofty words from the Declaration of Independence. The U.S. Constitution, including the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments, has 27 amendments. And 20 of those, 20 of them, enlarge the rights of individuals. They expand the protections for individuals. And as people of faith, we are called to be the conscience for a nation. Because some of those amendments tried to expand people's rights by granting freedom to the slaves, by giving women the right to vote in elections. They expanded the rights of those who have been pushed to the sidelines. And if nation, the churches are, as Martin Luther King said, called to be the conscience of the nation, we are compelled to always work for more rights for people and never fewer. Because it was Franklin Roosevelt that said that our progress as a nation will never be measured by how much we add to the abundance of those of us who have plenty already. But rather, the progress of our nation will be measured by how much we do for those who have too little. Jesus said it, I think, more beautifully. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Be the church. But to be able to faithfully extend rights and fairness and love to others, we have to get beyond something that may be at the core of racism. And this is usually the core of any dispute between people or between generations or between groups or organizations. And it is the sin of seeing ourselves with innocence. The human tendency is this. We compare another person's or another group's or another race's faults against our very best qualities, seemingly able to forget our own shortcomings. It is, I think, a universal tendency to fight the misperceptions of other people with our own half-truths about ourselves. And yet, and yet we are an Easter people, which means we carry Jesus' yoke of hope. And I think that yoke of hope was expressed in a remarkable way in something that I have shared with you on an Independence Day in the past. And it's the words of Judge Learned Hand, who some consider to have been the greatest Supreme Court Justice of the 20th century, an immigrant who in 1944 in the midst of World War II, was asked to deliver the Independence Day speech in Washington, D.C., entitled, I am an American. And here's what he said. I cannot define the spirit of liberty. I can only tell you of my own faith. The spirit of our nation is a spirit which is not too sure it is right. 
The spirit of liberty is the spirit which seeks to understand the minds of other men and women. And then he went on to say that the spirit of liberty is the spirit of Jesus, who nearly 2,000 years ago taught humanity the lesson it has never learned, but has never quite forgotten. That there may be a kingdom where the least shall be heard and considered side by side with the greatest. That is the spirit of our nation, he said, which has never fully been and which may never be, except if you and I have the courage to seek it. The equality of human beings is not something that you and I need to worry about creating, but rather we are called to recognize equality, for God has already created it. We are called to recognize that we all belong to one another, Jew and Greek, male and female, black and white. That's how God made us. I think it's what Christ died for, so that you and I, we might be the church. Amen.